it's Erin and Meg and welcome back to this week's episode well sorry this month's episode of love you read it we are actually not together for this episode and it's so sad because we haven't done this since last year in quarantine so this is kind of weird bring back some dark memes a little bit but I'm glad to see Erin's face and I'm glad to talk about the midnight library by Matt Haig that was my pick for this month I'm super excited to hear what Erin is going to pick for October. Yes, we'll get into that a little bit later. You guys know how much we love our book club episodes. And so a little bit of housekeeping, I guess, quickly before we get into this episode. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Love You Read a Podcast and at Love You Read a Book Club. We post on those constantly, pretty much daily. Definitely keep up with the book club at Love You Read a Book Club. And like Meg said, I'm going to be introducing at the end of the episode what book I'm picking for October for our spooky pick. So definitely stay tuned for that. But I guess without further ado, we're going to really let Meg take the reins on this episode because it was her choice. I'm going to read the summary to you guys in case some of you didn't read it. Um, I am on Zoom right now, so if the audio is not perfect, I'm sorry. I'm just like prefacing that. The Midnight Library opens with a teenage Nora Seed, who's the main character, and she is a smart and talented swimmer. She's playing chess with a school librarian. That's literally me and Aaron. And then suddenly she gets news that her father passed away. And then 19 years later, the story picks up and Nora is now a 35-year-old woman who is unhappy in her life. A neighbor, Ash, informs her that her cat, Voltaire, who she calls Volts, has been hit by a car. Nora is upset and is late for work and she gets fired by her boss, Neil. She also runs into Ravi, who was once in a band along with her brother, Joe. And then both men blame her for dropping out right before they had a chance at a major record deal. And after a string of other unfortunate events, she got fired as a music tutor. She was reminded of having grown apart from her former best friend, Izzy, her ex-boyfriend, all that stuff. Um, Nora decides to die. She decides to take her own life. And she overdoses on pills at midnight. The next part picks up and Nora finds herself surrounded by mist and she discovers the Midnight Library where infinite rows of books represent portals into different variations of her life. Mrs. Elm or something that resembles her is here and she serves as Nora's guide explaining that the library exists between life and death. Nora can stay in these alternate realities as long as she desires But if she loses her will to live in the process, then she will die. Nora tries out a life with her ex, Dan, who she nearly married, only to discover that he would have gotten bored and cheated on her. She also tries a life where Volts was kept indoors to prevent it from being hit by a car, but learns that the cat actually died of a health condition. Next, Nora is transported into a life where she moved to Australia with Izzy, but finds out Izzy would have died in a car accident. Nora then tries becoming an Olympic swimmer, only to find out she is depressed in that life too. When Nora tests out becoming an Arctic researcher, she meets a man named Hugo Lefebvre, who has also been jumping in between alternate realities and has been doing so for a long time, but Nora longs to find a life to settle down in. Nora tries a life where she stays in her band and becomes a famous rock star, but she learns that becoming famous led to Joe dying from substance abuse. From there, Mrs. Elm encourages Nora to pursue less obvious paths. Nora ends up trying out a multitude of lives and careers ranging from becoming a single mom to running a winery or being an aid worker but nothing sticks finally nora recalls how ash had once asked her out and tries a life where she accepted that date nora discovers the life that she thinks is quite nice where they have a young daughter named molly and a dog named plato in that life nora has patched up her relationship with joe and he is happily married as well nora thinks that this may be the best version of her life however when she goes back to her hometown and sees that her absence has had an impact. Nora sees that her neighbor, whom she used to help out, ended up having to move to a care facility. And her music student, Leo, ended up falling in with a bad crowd instead of discovering his aptitude for piano. Nora ends up letting go of that life and returning to the Midnight Library as it is falling apart. Mrs. Elm explains that her desire to live out her original life is causing the destruction. Mrs. Elm tells Nora how to exit by finding the book representing her original life, and the Midnight Library dissolves. When Nora is back in her original life, she stumbles outside for help post-overdosing and soon wake up in a hospital. With her regrets laid to rest and with hope for the future, Nora is able to turn her life around. She works on patching things up with her brother, starts soliciting more students for music lessons in order to make a living, and starts volunteering weekly at a homeless shelter. Nora also seeks out the real Mrs. Elm at the care facility to resume their games of chess. That's kind of how the book ends is like her going to like the nursing home and like hanging out with her former librarian. It was really cute. 
So obviously, as you guys all know, if you listen to our regular episodes, we always talk about every single week about what we're loving and hating. And we do that in the book club episodes too. So we talk about what we're loving and what we're hating about the book. And we'll get the negative shit out of the way first. So Meg, what did you hate about the book? I honestly like didn't really hate too much about it. I think something I would have changed maybe is like, I wish I talked like less about the book of regrets I guess so like maybe she didn't live so many lives maybe she just lived like a few lives like more deeply I think that would have been more interesting but like I do like how it kind of just like skimmed over certain lives where it like didn't go into it too much but there was a lot so I get that but what were you hating yeah I definitely appreciated that there were like a variety of lives like it wasn't just like different versions of the same life it was like distinctly different things like Meg said I appreciated that she went to like to work in the Arctic and then there was another one where she like was a famous like Olympian and stuff like that like I thought that was cool also agree that I did like I hated that there was like so many lives and like to the went around like maybe like the 80% mark I was like oh my god like we are still going like we are still out here we're gonna talk about our ratings at the end but like this wasn't one of my faves in my opinion this felt like a self like a self-help book like wrapped up as fiction well I think I needed that so that's why I liked it well no (laughs) that's what I'm saying like I was telling Kelsey like I was like oh I gave it a three but I was like I would recommend it like I thought I like I enjoyed it and I thought it was a good book I don't know it felt not like cheesy at times but I felt like it was just a little mundane and repetitive at points but I thought that it did have good things to say but before I get into what I'm liking what were what did you love about the book Meg I don't know. I think I just liked the overall message. Like I think dealt with mental health, like mental health issues, like particularly depression um, in like a realistic way, even though like it was fiction. Like I think a lot of the symbolism in the book sort of like represented how depression actually is. So I appreciated that because I feel like some people try to do things about suicide and like whether it be TV shows or movies and sometimes like they almost glamorize it. But this, I feel like was almost like Aaron said, it kind of like was a self-help thing, but it was also like kind of just like a reminder, like a change in perspective, I guess. And I think that would have been something really nice to read, like during the pits of quarantine when I was like super depressed. I feel like this book would have been like perfect for that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like Meg and I talk about this all the time, but there's certain books where it's like I don't really appreciate it or enjoy it enough in the moment, like where I am in life. But like I've told Meg in the past, like, oh, I, I didn't love this book, but I know that if I was in a different place, like I would like it more, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's like kind of where I'm coming from right now because I feel like I'm going through like a few life changes right now. And so I feel like this book like kind of helped me personally. So I feel like if I'm ever like struggling like later on or something, like I'll probably pick this book up because it's just like a good reminder. It felt like when I was done reading it that like I had a long like therapy session or something or like I had a a long like converse like a deep conversation with like a friend or someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I loved about the book was I just loved how creative it was, kind of like I already touched on, but the fact that she was an Arctic researcher and she was an Olympian and she was a single mom and like she did all this different stuff. I thought the idea of like, I, it's just annoying because it's like the actual idea of the Midnight Library I thought was so cool. And like, I thought it was so interesting and like the whole thing that the, like the librarian was like somebody who was like an important figure in her life and like I found the book of regrets actually to be super cool. The fact that like she could see every single regret and then like as she went through the lives and like as she was like living through the chapters and stuff like like coming back to the library like the book of regrets would be smaller and smaller like over time. I thought that was really cool. I just thought it was very symbolic and again like Aaron and I shocker we love libraries. So I just think it was just so symbolic of books in general. So I love how like it kind of took that but also like made it more like personal and then made you yourself wonder like oh what would happen if I did like xyz yeah honestly it it made me kind of reflective especially because a large majority of this book I actually walked to the park near our apartment and I was sitting outside and I was like reading on the bench and I was just looking at all the people around me thinking about all of their lives and like how they're living their own like unique lives that are different than me and I was like huh feels a little eerie (laughs) Yeah, I guess we can talk a little bit too about like the themes of this book. So there were a couple, which I thought was cool because sometimes there's usually only like one, but this had like a multiple amount of themes. So the first one was like choice and regret. So this novel uses the conceit of a library 
of parallel lives to examine the meaning of choice and regret, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Another theme that we have is philosophy and the meaning of life. So the novel really explores the multiple worlds theory and Nora's search for meaning, which I just thought was so crazy. I loved, I wish more than anything that she could have stayed in the life with Ash and Molly because then the thought, like the fact that her dog's name was Play-Doh was so fucking cute. I saw this like quote recently and like, it's kind of like stuck with me. Obviously, like I believe in parallel universes, like it's honestly just like a scientific fact. And even though like we don't know how to like access them or anything like about them since I saw this quote and like I read this book, you can picture that maybe in like a different life that like things worked out differently. So Mm -hmm. like have things that you wish happened, like it could be happening in another life. She almost like broke the fourth wall in a way when she was like, talking to the character but she also like felt like it was like talking to you the reader and she was like oh yeah yeah like I knew you in another life or whatever and they were kind of just like okay crazy (laughs) they were like are you like okay I just like I like can't even imagine if somebody came up to me and was like oh yeah like this like I just felt so bad when she was like talking to her brother and stuff and just other characters and she was like oh like in another life it goes like this and they were like okay like but I, I totally agree that I thought like made a super interesting point. Mrs. Elm said, have you never walked into a room and wondered what you came in for and not in what you just did? No, because there's literally so many times that like I'm doing stuff and I like walk in the room and I'm like, what was I doing? Or like, I completely blank out even if I'm just like sitting at my desk and I'm like, oh my God, I could have been like, that could have been like another version of me in my body. That's what I'm saying. And like, that's where the whole like Mandela effect like conspiracy thing comes from is just like alternate realities yeah like you remembering things differently because it's literally berenstein bears it's not berenstein it is the fucking berenstein bears oh my god i would put my life on it if someone had a gun to my head and they're like was it berenstein or berenstein i would still even knowing that it's technically berenstein i would i would still say berenstein i'm sorry it's horrible And the last theme that we have was relationships and forgiveness. Nora's journey underscores the importance of relationships and the value of forgiveness. I think like her being able to go back and not like go back, but like see things differently really helped her heal. And I think it made her like not want to unalive herself. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, because the whole thing, like obviously she had such like a strenuous relationship with her brother and then like with her dad and then like in different lives, she would go back and like her mom would pass away and then like her dad would get remarried and he would be alive. And so I feel like it was definitely interesting for her to see that like there were other lives where like she could be forgiven and like she didn't necessarily even have to change things to like be forgiven, if that makes any sense. Yeah, so like obviously you guys wouldn't know if you haven't listened to past episodes, but every single episode we pick like one of our favorite quotes or something that stood out to us. We've done this in the other episodes as well. So I'll just share mine first because I have it up right here. But my quote from the Midnight Library that really stuck out the most, whenever I leave a review on Goodreads, I always start off with a quote. So this was mine. I said, quote, it is quite a revelation to discover that the place that you wanted to escape to is the exact same place you escaped from, that the prison wasn't the place, but the perspective, which I just thought was really interesting because obviously we all know that she leaves her life and then she ends up choosing to go back there. And I just think it's really interesting because especially coming from two people that suffer from mental health issues, realizing that like, it's really just the way you look at it. It's kind of like when your parents say, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Just like the perspective of how you look at things. And if you like look at your life from another angle, like even this, like somebody else could be having the shittiest day ever, but you're not in their shoes and you're like, oh my God, they're perfect. Like they're, they have everything going for them. So I just thought that was very interesting. No, I think that's honestly like a great quote. That was one of the better ones, I thought. Mine is a little bit longer. It is easy to mourn the lives we aren't living in. Easy to wish we would develop other talents, said yes to different offers. Easy to wish we could work harder, love better, handled our finances more astutely, been more popular, stayed in the band, gone to Australia, said yes to the coffee, or done more bloody yoga. It takes no effort to miss the friends we didn't make and the work we didn't do and the people we didn't marry and the children we didn't have. It is not difficult to see yourself through the lens of other people and to wish you were all the different kaleidoscopic versions of you they wanted you to be. It is easy to regret and keep regretting in infinity until our time runs out. But it is not the lies we regret not living that are the real problem. It is regret itself. It is the regret that makes us shrivel and wither and feel like our own and 
other people's worst enemy. We can't tell if any of those versions would have been better or worse. Those lives that are happening, it's true, but you are happening as well. And that is the happening we have to focus on. So we are going to get into the questions. I'm so excited. Can't wait to grill Aaron. <laughs> okay. So the first one I have is let's start with Nora at the beginning of the novel. Nothing is going right for her. And she feels like her life is already full of so many regrets. Why did Nora feel this way? Why do you think she felt like she had no other option but suicide? Well, first of all, I just find it really funny that you like this book so much, considering that Meg did not like Girl on the Train, and the main character is also, like, a middle-aged, like, depressed, like, mess of a person. Okay, first of all, she wasn't an alcoholic. (laughs) She didn't piss herself and then leave it on the (laughs) stairs for her roommate to see. You guys have to read Girl on the Train. No, honestly, that, like, that book was, like, just, like, pathetic. This book was, like, I feel, like, more sad. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I get that. You literally said it best. Like, literally nothing is going right for her. And I really feel that, like, she felt this way because, honestly, like, I forgot, like, how many things happened until you, like, were reading the summary back and you were like, oh, she lost her job and her best friend doesn't talk to her. Neither does her brother. Also, like, her ex-bandmate hates her and the possible love of her life, her neighbor, like, she never said yes to him. Oh, and her cat died and she lost her job. I was like, fuck. Like, I think her cat dying was, like, the last straw because I remember her saying, like, he was the only reason that she was staying alive. Yeah. And I was like, that's so sad. Like a lot of people though, like I know when they're like coming back from like a suicide attempt or they're feeling like really suicidal, like they get dogs or pets so that they have something to take care of. Yeah. Um, I I think that can be really helpful. And obviously we all know that like animals are a member of your family and because she lived alone, like this cat was her fucking ride or die homie. And the fact that he died and she just felt like it was her fault was, like, horrible. No, but I just thought it was really nice that they showed, like, I mean, obviously she chose the storyline. But I just thought it was really nice that she chose the book where, like, she kept the cat indoors. And instead of, like, letting it out and letting it be hit by the car. Because I thought it was cool that it showed that, like, she really couldn't have done anything. That, like, the cat had, like, a health condition and would have died anyway. So, like, it's literally out of her hands. Yeah, I think it just goes to show that, like, we tend to think of things as our fault even if we had no control over them and I think that just shows that you really don't have to blame yourself for everything that goes wrong it's not like her fault and she can kind of like rest in peace knowing that like she was a great owner and that she'll see the cat again in another life kind of like the second part of that question though about like why do we think she felt like she had no other option but suicide I feel like because she was literally just alone like she had nobody she didn't have her parents her brother didn't talk to her she had no friends like she had lost her job and her cat like she had no like love life like she, she definitely just thought like she had nothing left I think it was just like one of those seasons in her life that was like really bad like I feel like everyone has like maybe like a couple months or like even years where things are just like kind of shitty and I think she was going through that and she was just like over it and also I think she was really just like dissatisfied with where she was and Mm -hmm. stuff because like she was like oh I could have done this I could have done that and I feel like success is definitely or lack of success is definitely a reason why some people commit suicides like you hear of like older men doing that all the time like when they retire and stuff like that because they feel like they like them not working is like they don't have a purpose anymore so she honestly just felt like she didn't have a purpose yeah so the next question is the midnight library is different for each person who enters it Nora experienced it as a library because of the meaningful relationship she had with Mrs. Elm her childhood librarian later we learned that Hugo experienced it as a video store with a cherished uncle instead of a librarian What do you think your midnight library would be and who would be there? I feel like my library would be two things. One, it would be the literal New Haven library because that's where we go all the time and spend like so much time. And I have, I'm literally going tomorrow. I have so much peace, like just walking around and like going through the books and like walking around as Meg and stuff. But then also I feel like my, my midnight library would be me at the beach in like York Beach, Maine, or like maybe even fucking Westbrook. My library would just be like a bunch of shells and I'd be like, oh, like what's this? Okay. Why did I write the same fucking thing? That's so funny. I'm not kidding. (laughs) 
I literally wrote it down. I said that the my librarian would probably be like my mom. Yeah. Because I used to take walks with her when I was younger. We would literally walk for miles and I would take like a bucket and just put like a bunch of shit in there, like sea glass. And I thought the same thing, like everything that you picked up would like bring you to a different place. Yeah. Why are we so what the fuck? Next question. Nora goes to so many different realities from marrying her ex-boyfriend to studying glaciers. Which alternate reality did you find the most interesting? Okay, 1000% when she was studying the glaciers. And she had I said the same thing too. But also, like, I also loved, I wanted her to stay the one with Ash and Molly so bad. And then when she left, I was pissed. Honestly, like, I also kind of wanted her to stay in the wine one. I'm like, that sounds lit. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, why would you, Loki, why would you leave? Like, that I sounds know. like so much fun. And then she saw, like, eventually, like, so basically in one life, she, like, um married this guy and he was like a winemaker and they had like a winery in like Napa or some shit they just like owned the winery and she like just kind of worked there and like helped him and they had a son and I was like that just sounds like so cute and then in another life she saw the same guy like she picked up a bottle of wine and she saw the same guy but like with another woman on the label where it was talking about like the winery where the wine was made Mm -hmm. I was like oh my god tea I thought that was cool how that was like mentioned again though. Me too. Um, I also like another thing though I liked about the one with Hugo is that like how he was like her and he like called her out on like being basically like what would you say like a time hopper or something. And he was like yeah I've been doing the same thing and they just had like this whole ass conversation about it. I thought that was really interesting. Okay uh, next question. Every time Nora goes to one of these realities there's usually a lot of good but also something bad whether it's her brother dying in the rock star storyline or her mother passing away trying to stay there with how each of these concepts had huge consequences i don't know i just think it goes to show that not everything is going to be positive like you kind of go into the library and you're like oh i can make all of these decisions like this is going to be so great but like it's kind of like the butterfly effect which i think is so interesting too where you make one decision and it changes everything like i thought that it was crazy that in the life with like ash and everything like gets ash and molly and the dog but then like the kid that she was like teaching how to play piano and all that like ended up being like a literal convict that was so sad like it was just really sad to see that like even now like whenever like since reading the book thinking about small decisions that i make like even regrets that she had in the book were like the tiniest things and thinking about like the consequences that can even come from those decisions yeah honestly I think it just goes to show that like no matter how lucky you are in your life there are going to be like parts of your life that aren't going to be perfect mm-hmm. and you kind of just have to like make the best of it so like even when she was like a famous Olympian and she was a rock star like there was still shit that she had to deal with of this life pain-free and I think that it was awesome that the author chose to like include the good with the bad Mm -hmm. let's talk now about Nora's relationship with the real life Mrs. Elm why was this such a significant relationship for her I feel like just because she didn't really have like the strongest family relationships this was just Mm -hmm. like such a safe place for her to go because I I definitely just feel like she didn't have like a great life overall like whether like school friends family all of that and like Honestly, the library is such a safe space. And I feel like this was someone that like really cared about her, wanted to like know about her. I wanted to learn about like who she was and like really was one of the first people to ever like truly pay attention and care about her. And I think it's really cool how she was like there when Nora found out that like her dad died. Yeah. Oh my God. Wait, I completely forgot about that. That's kind of why it was someone she was so important to her too. Yeah. Like she was there for the most like tragic thing in her life. And so I feel like that makes someone like automatically really important to you. And also like there was one point like when Nora goes to visit her like at the end and Mrs. Elm was like, oh, I've made so many mistakes in my life. Like I've had so much regret. Nora was like, you made my life so much better. So I think that was like nice of her to say that even though like she was really like the only person that like loved her. Yeah. Like if you think about it, even like when she was a kid, like everyone kind of wanted her to be something other than what she was except for exactly. Mrs. Elm yeah this shit's deep <laughs> throughout the novel Nora realizes how people blamed her for their own shortcomings and that the different realities she chose were based on hoping for a better outcome for her loved ones let's talk about the significance of Nora realizing this how did it help her move forward with her own life I feel like just realizing that she was doing so many things because she felt like she had to like 
I don't know, especially when it came to the band and stuff. Clearly, she really did care about the band and she had a good time doing it. But for the most part, she was holding on to it because her brother and like his best friend were so wrapped up in it. And she was like, she definitely cared about swimming, but not enough to become an Olympic athlete. And so I feel like her realizing that and like she really just wanted to go study glaciers. And I feel like her realizing that like she could make her own decisions and that she was able to like do what she wanted, not just like because like her studying glaciers was not about anybody else. And so I think her realizing that she could do what she wanted and like things would be okay was like a way of her realizing that like, hey, maybe my life is like worth living. And I noticed that like when she was um living lives basically like for other people um she was on antidepressants yeah Tea. so like because in certain lives like she would look around and say like okay like because in her like root life that's what they called it she was on antidepressants and like when she would go into a new life she would say okay like do I see antidepressants here like do I see any pill bottles and like the ones like where she was living for other people like when she lived out her ex-boyfriend's dream to like open a pub she was taking antidepressants and he was like an alcoholic and they just like weren't happy and then when she moved to australia for her best friend like mm -hmm. he was taking antidepressants yeah so it just i don't know it goes to show you just gotta live for yourself man hashtag speaking from the heart be fletcher Fletcher. oh my god i felt like she kind of just like always took on fault and blame for things yeah when she really didn't need to and she was taking on like all of their anger and disappointment and it like it really weighed on her and then I think that's kind of like why she ultimately like decided to kill herself because she just felt like such a disappointment exactly what did you think about the storyline where Nora marries Ash and has a daughter and why wasn't she able to stay in this alternate reality I was fucking living for it I was reading it and I was like this is the life hold on tight it was so fabulous like I was like oh my god this is so fun but ultimately I feel like she wasn't able to stay because like she was she still wasn't completely happy in it and I feel like she was still to some extent living for other people made me think why she wasn't able to stay there it's not like she didn't love like Ash or Molly or Play-Doh it was that like she knew that they would be okay in that life without her because they were in like a stable relationship yeah and also like Mrs. Elm told her that like once she settled into a life and like chose that life she would forget her root life and like her and the library and like at one point she said like oh why am I still remembering the library if this is the right life for me yeah and so like I think she knew on some level that like it wasn't right and then like that's why she left and it just didn't work out and she just kind of felt like a fraud because she like didn't earn that life kind of like she didn't earn the right to have like a daughter or like you know which I kind of get well no and there's so many times where it's like I mean it's definitely like what depression is when you're like you could honestly have like everything and you're still not completely happy and there's no like there's no reason like it's just like this isn't where you're supposed to be or this isn't like what you're supposed to be doing yeah it just wasn't a fit but even though like I think um she like made a great mom I think she me talking as if she's real I think she should definitely like have children because uh-huh. I think that it would like bring her a lot of happiness not that I think children are like a cure for depression there by all means yeah. not they can make your life your life like way worse but mm-hmm. for her in her case I think she like really enjoyed being a mom yeah uh what were some of the key realizations that made her want to go back to her original life going back to her town and like seeing what happened like without her influence like how Leo was like yeah basically a convict and how like this made me really sad like she used to take care of her old neighbor um Mr. Ban Banerjee I think his name was and um she like kind of downplayed it in the beginning she was like yeah like I would just like go help him like randomly and like bring him to his appointments or whatever and like because she wasn't there anymore in like this alternate life he like was so adamantly against that like in her root life Mm-hmm. so that made her really sad to think that like no one was there taking care of him well because I, I think you're making a good point right now it's just like the entire time like we were t- like question one when we were talking about how she has so many regrets and like she had nothing to live for but I feel like that last life with Ash and Molly was showing her that like she does make an impact and like she does have things to live for and like people that did care about her and the thing that got me the most though was that 
like when she tracked down Mrs. Elm and they said that she had died. Oh my God. And she never got to like resolve things with her. And I was like, that was so sad. I think that was also like the last straw for her because she was like, this woman like literally raised me. So she's like, I think I'm out. Yeah. She's like, I'm going back. So I feel like the whole purpose of like the Midnight Library was eventually choose your own again Mm -hmm. and just like make improvements on it. Literally part of me was like, oh my God, she's going to go back to numero uno. She's going to go back to the roots. But like on, it was a good lesson. No, I know. I I, I get it. I was like, oh my God. Like she went, I just read 400 pages. Well, no, it was like 300 pages for her to end back at square one. But she definitely learned things. This is a perfect segue into our next question. So how will things be different for Nora going forward? What happens next for her? I definitely think that she's going to call Ash and like go out with him. Please. He literally sounded like a fucking fox. Because so basically like her brother, like in the life with Ash. So like her second best life. Yeah. Um, She was like friends with her brother again. And her brother was like married to this guy. And, like, they had, like, a beautiful marriage, and they were, like, super close with Nora and Ash and stuff, so it was really nice. And, like, in her root life, her brother was, like, oh, I, like, just met this guy, and, like, it was the guy that he was with in, like, the other life. So she was, like, oh, my God, you have to, like, ask him out. And, like, I just thought that was so cute, because, like, she knew that it was going to work out, that kind of thing. Her brother was, like, what the fuck? Like, mind you. Yeah, he was, like, all right, crazy. Um, but yeah, I definitely think she's going to go out with Ash. I think that she's going to have a kid with him and they're going to end up together. And they're going to adopt a dog and name it Plato. Yeah, no, I mean, and I definitely feel like she'll continue like teaching kids, (laughs) me teaching inner city kids, but like teaching kids underprivileged children piano, hanging out with Mrs. Ash and like maybe being like that kind of mentor and like role model that Mrs. Elm was for her to like other kids. That's so, I mean, she already was like to Leo. I know, but to more. It's just so sad. Um, so the last question is what are the some of the takeaways from Nora's journey? What's that like corny thing they kept saying? And they were like, oh, the only way to learn, learn, to live. learn is to live, yeah. Um, I hated that they kept repeating that, but like honestly, it's a good message. It went along with the book. I don't know. I just think like this book really was about like suicide more than anything else. Yeah. And I think it's just like goes to show that most people who commit suicide regret it. Oh my god, yeah do not and like how and like how she literally at the end was like fighting for her life to like get back to like yes. what she originally started with and I thought that that was like so like I don't know I just thought that was kind of beautiful <laughs> I was like damn okay full circle exactly um and also like there was one point where like after she like woke up from her overdose and like was in the hospital and stuff and she was like back in her life things like started working out for her again and like her best friend was like moving back and all that stuff and like she literally said wow like if I had just waited things would have gotten so much better yeah so I think like even like if you're suicidal obviously talk to someone please but like just take it day by day because like you never know like what could happen like tomorrow could be like the best day of your life and like everything could change Obviously, this is a very, like, a very obvious one. Um, Life is too short to have regrets. Yeah. <laughs> like, regrets are heavy like, to live with, for thinking sure. Of, like, thinking about, like, a book the size of the Odyssey, like, that's what I pictured, like, the book of regrets to be. And, like, nobody needs to be <laughs> carrying that around on their back. Um, another one I had was to make improvements, like, if you aren't happy. So you can always, like, fix your root life and just yeah. try and try and just make things better for yourself. Like, if you identify, like, what's giving you a hard time, like, you can make steps to change it. It's not going to – Rome wasn't built in a day, but, like, you just yeah. have to put work in. Um, also, I kind of thought of this book as, like, almost like an allegory for, like, therapy – because I, I really felt that, like, Mrs. Elm was, like, her therapist. And, like, each life that she lived, she would, like, have this long-ass conversation with her. Mm-hmm. And then she would, like, realize something. And so, like, I think it just goes to show that, like, therapy can really make your life better. Absolutely. And the last one I have is that anything in life is possible. Not to be emo, but... No, that was a good one. You came up with good ones. Each Love You Rita episode we do love you cast it. So this is basically, we cast celebrities as um, people in the book. Okay. Mine is not a celebrity, but for Mrs. Elm, it was literally from Monsters Inc. The one that's like, Mike Wazowski. 
always watching. Oh, that oh, was his oh, No. <laughs> okay, I pictured Nora as like Florence Pugh. I pictured well, cause she she's supposed to be like thirty five. I literally pictured her as like Emily Blunt in A Girl in the Train. Well, she basically just has to be British. All these people yeah. have to be British because it takes place in England. Yeah. But like, I just thought like. Well, I mean, um, like, so Florence Pugh could be, like, the young Nora. I just feel like she did such a good job, like, in Midsummer of, like, acting, like, mentally ill and, like, deranged. So I was, like, she could definitely, like, play this part. I feel like for um, the middle-aged Nora, it has to be Emily Blunt. I just, I associate her with Girl on the Train, so I'm like, I, ew, that's, I don't that's know if I can like, do it. She has the same vibe, so. Ugh. Can we cast Ash? You like Jack Harlow? <laughs> you deserve you don't deserve anything okay um Um, no he has to be british 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 okay would you picture him like would you picture him more like nerdy or like hot because he was was like wasn't he a doctor i was picturing him like hot like so not eddie redmayne I feel like Eddie Redmayne's like kind of wholesome. No, but like he, but like he would go for like he would run, he would like go for runs, and he like told her about her dead cat. So maybe Eddie Redmayne, yeah, I kind of like that. Maybe, maybe he has like a soft side. Yeah, a, a softer image. Soft side. Okay, and then Mrs. Mrs. Elm for my legit Mrs. Elm, who's not from Monsters University, Monsters Inc. I, I'm trying to think. My high school Spanish teacher. No, it has to be a real person. No, I know, I know, I know. I was thinking Helen Mirren. I love her and she can literally do anything. And I think she would be the perfect librarian. Honestly, yeah. Because I just think of her in that movie, like the 100 foot journey or something. And she was so good. Yeah, I feel like she could really like embody like the academic therapist vibe. She would body that. She could body that. Me like, okay, who would you cast as her cat? No, just kidding. <laughs> okay, um, I would cast Bear Mariano. Oh my God. Yeah, our friend's cat would be Volts. Voltaire, Voltaire, Voltaire. Yeah, that, that was really cute. I really like that. I loved that. So like Voltaire is obviously like a philosopher. Like just cool, a bunch of philosophers throughout the book. She loved like Thoreau and like Albert Camus, who was like an existentialist. So it was like, gee, she read his shit. No wonder she wanted to kill herself. Should we move on to what we rated this book? Yeah. What did you rate it? I would say that this episode kind of positively influenced me. So on Goodreads, I gave this book a three, but I think now after like talking about this, a 3.5. That's all I get Yep, for putting in this work. You can't even give it a four. Nope. No, I gave this book a five. I think I was kind of just like right place, right time. I thought it was honestly literally thought it was beautiful. I thought it was so symbolic. I know it was like kind of corny and like obviously like predictable, but like But like I, it had a lot of good messages. Yeah, like I definitely think I as someone struggle with like mental health, I think this was a testament to that and I think it honored people that have depression and have suicide ideation. So, thank you to Matt Haig for talking about stuff that a lot of people ignore. He's a memoir too, so yeah, he sounds like I honestly want to read his other books because they're supposed to be really good. Yeah, so our rating for the Midnight Library by Matt Haig was a four point two five. That's honestly which is pretty pretty on par because I checked the Goodreads and the average rating for that book. T this book was actually a Goodreads Choice uh 2020, 2020 winner. So it has almost six hundred thousand ratings. So it's five hundred ninety three thousand ratings and then seventy five thousand reviews. And the average rating for that was a 4.1. I mean, and that's a pretty good rating coming from us because we gave Malibu Rising a 4.25. We gave Then She Was Gone a 4.3 and we gave Cersei 5. So before we wrap up this episode, though, we're going to talk about the other books that we read this month. So I feel like we have to come up with a cute name for this. Love you, share it. Yeah. Okay, that's cute. So the first book I read was actually a book club book that for me, Erin, and Kelsey, our little roomy book club, separate from Love You Read It, I chose A Thousand Splendid Sons uh, by Khalid Hosseini. He is such a beautiful writer. He actually wrote The Kite Runner. I don't know if you, any of you guys read that little, little book. Little book. Actually, it was a huge, a hugely successful book. This book was honestly beautiful it like shattered my heart into a million pieces it's just about like two women um in Afghanistan and it like talks about like the history of it and like now like coming up to it like with the Taliban and everything it I read it literally like days before 9-11 and it was the 20th anniversary and I was like yo this shit's hitting different right now but um it was a beautiful book really good 
Yeah, I read that uh, the month previously. So if you guys want to listen to it, like listen to me talk about it, go listen to the Malibu Rising episode. First oh yeah, book- I gave that book a five. Sorry. Oh yeah, sorry. I forgot to say. First book I read in September was To Sir With Love. It was a recommendation from Meg. It was a romance book. I don't necessarily love romance books because I'm a heartless Aquarius. I still thought it was cute and I would definitely still recommend it. So I give it three stars. The next one I read was The Push by Ashley Audrain. Um, I thought this was very disturbing. It made me question my fantastic relationship with my mom. (laughs) I think it makes anyone question their relationship with their mom. Yeah. Um, Definitely fuck me up. I gave this one four stars. That one was an Aaron wreck. That was a good one. Yeah, thanks. Next book I read was The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave. This was a super popular book this whole entire year. It was so good. I gave it five stars. I would definitely recommend it. Um, If you like Ponzi schemes and you like mysteries, I would recommend. The next book I read was The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. This is also an Aaron wreck and also just like an internet wreck. I feel like everywhere... Every bookstagram account is like, this is the best book ever. Um, if you haven't read it, honestly, it's amazing. It's the best one I've read by Taylor. So Dickinson. good. It's so good. Um, gave this one a five. Just go get it. It's honestly, I read it in like a day. So, so good. Next book I read was The Unraveling of Cassidy Holmes by Alyssa R. Sloan. If you guys listen to the Redheads podcast, which this episode is like this, like our book club podcast is heavily based on. They read this book actually last year and I actually listened to the episode first, but I like forgot what happened, but this book was like 400 pages. It was like way too long, but it was really interesting if you like pop culture and you like listening to kind of like hearing behind like 90s, 2000s pop bands, like girl bands, because we don't really have that many girl bands that it was really interesting. And nevertheless, I gave it three stars. Next up, I read Where the Crawdads Sing. Everybody talks about this book. It was really slow. The first hundred pages I was like dragging, but the end was so beautiful and I literally cried. So I gave it five stars. Period. I definitely want to read that one. The next one I read <laughs> is Gustavo the Shy Ghost. Um, this is actually a children's book. <laughs> and it's by Flavia Z Drago. And she's a new author. She's from Mexico. So this book is so cute. It's based, I saw it when Aaron and I were at Barnes and Noble. And yes, I included it in my good re- my Goodreads because it was I'm like so fire. embarrassed for you. Like I, at the I end don't the, care. No, at the end of the year, they give you like a Goodreads breakdown and they're like, oh, the longest book you read, the shortest book you read, and it's gonna be Gustavo. <laughs> Yeah, as I literally love this book. The illustrations are so cute. It's just about this ghost who's like really afraid to make friends and like he like overcomes that and like makes all these friends and it's so cute. And I actually bought the book for my mom because my mom is a is for a teacher. Mom. So um she's actually reading it to her class, I think like the week that you guys are listening to this. So I'm super excited. She showed it to a bunch of her teacher friends. They all want to borrow it. Um so basically I'm just a trendsetter. Um, honestly if you have any little kids in your life I would buy them this book it's so cute it's like adorable and it comes with like a free sticker like a big like bumper sticker yeah and it's hanging on our fridge next book that I read was regretting you by Colleen Hoover Colleen Hoover is so popular a few months ago this book was first well a lot of Colleen Hoover books aren't at the library but this book was on sale on Kindle for like 99 cents. So I bought it. thought it was really good. I don't really love Colleen Hoover that much, but literally the beginning of this book had me shook and I still kind of think about it. And Justice for Miller is all I have to say. Oh, I gave her four stars. That sounds like a good one. The next one I read was Hour of the Witch. So this one is basically a historical fiction book. It takes place in Boston in like the 1600s. It's definitely like a feminist novel. It's about this girl and she's like married to this guy and he's like abusing her. And so she like tries to divorce him and she like gets accused of being a witch. And like the whole thing is like basically like a lot of the book is like either them in trial and then like other chapters is like just catching you up to speed on like how they got to that point. Honestly, really good. I recommend it for October. I think that would be a fun book to read. It wasn't scary. It was just like witchy, you know. Next book I read was Survive the Night by Riley Sager. I wish that I saved this for October because it, I literally, it has like so many bad reviews. Like it literally has a 3.5. And I literally thought this book was iconic. It's like this girl in college and they had this like ride share program where you can carpool with people and she's dr- trying to go, like she's moving out of the college and this random guy is like, hey, I'll drive you home. And she's like, yeah, sure. And then she's in the car and she's like, I think he's a serial killer. 
and because there was like a serial killer on their campus I just thought it was so good it's written in like a movie script format so it's like interior diner daytime and I'm like ooh, okay I thought it was so good I gave it five stars but clearly other people did not honestly I love Riley Sager um I loved his other book lock every door Aaron did not love that book as much I did give that book I think I gave it a four yeah um Um, it was really good I loved it I loved his other book I think it's I think it's in here final girls um, oh I wanted to read that yeah I I I gave that four stars but that was really good um I'll just read another one too next one I read was the nightingale by Kristen Hanna this has been on my TBR for so long it was just like I had to push myself a little bit to get to read it just because like her books are so long but they're so beautifully written I love the storyline I do obviously now realize the pattern that a lot of her books are like the older strict woman and the younger free female who's like a like a rebel but I I, this was like I wish that I read the nightingale before the four winds because this was just so well done yeah honestly like her I like how she doesn't just do like one era of history she's definitely like a historical fiction queen but like the other book that we read by her was the four winds and that takes place in the 1930s like in the dust bowl um that was honestly a very good book i would love to read the nightingale too even though i already know what happens but yeah um i gave the nightingale five stars though but uh i didn't tell meg this but i went uh like thrift book shopping the other day and i bought the great alone for two dollars and so that's Kristen Hannah's other book, and it takes place in Alaska. Yeah, I'm excited. Did you cry at the Nightingale? Yeah. Yeah, because I cried like a baby in the Four Winds. I did not cry, but that book, oh my God. Imagine me reading the Nightingale then. Good night. Yeah. The next one I read was Sometimes I Lie by Alice Feeney. This one was super interesting. This woman basically I'll like with Meg. Yeah. Um, I had Aaron read this book. Um, so basically she like is in a coma and she doesn't know why. So she can like hear everything that's going on. Um, and she like, there's like some shit going on with like her husband and her sister. And there's like just a huge twist. And it also takes place like back when she was younger, there's certain chapters. So it kind of flips, flip flops back to like um, when she was a kid, like before, like leading up to like her being in a coma and then her being in a coma. Yeah, that I love. I, I I mean, I don't always love diary entries in books, but I love them in this book. I was shook. And I would definitely recommend if you are a lover of the book Verity by Colin Hoover, because this was exactly like that. But I would not recommend if you're not necessarily somebody that doesn't like I love when the ending is like up for interpretation and I can decide mm-hmm. like how I feel like it ends. If you don't love a, like a concrete ending, I would not really recommend this book just because like it is kind of up in the air, but the cliffhanger. Yeah. Honestly, though, I thought it was really good. I would like to see this as a movie. Yeah. Uh, we, I think we I both think gave it five stars. Yeah. This yeah. is a good one. I was literally shook. I was, like, live texting Aaron. I was like, dude, this book is crazy. Yeah, I finished it last weekend. It was so good. But the next book that I read was A Slow Fire Burning. This was the October pick for... Uh, well, I guess September pick for the Redheads Book Club. I thought it was really good. This is by the girl who wrote girl on the train i really enjoyed it i gave it four stars the last one i have is midnight library do you have and the last one i have is midnight library yeah so we both read the midnight library is our last book and currently i am reading clara and the sun (gasps) oh my god what do you think what page oh i'm only i'm only in like i only am i I just read like the like part one meg please live text me it is so I think about it every day I like it so far it's interesting I think about it every fucking day you have to honestly I don't know why we don't have artificial friends I know it's like I know we didn't finish it but like remember that movie her the one with Joaquin Phoenix and like Scarlett Johansson like it kind of gives me like that vibe but like obviously like not because like Scarlett Johansson was like an like a like an operating system you and have these are like listen, physical robots but you have to listen to the redheads episode because that's where I found the book from because that was their July pick and um I read it and it was but Jackie was like um because she has a dog and she was like oh um like Bruno is my AF like he's my artificial friend and I was like literally yeah oh my god I'm so excited that you're reading that 
uh, currently I'm in the middle of two books right now. I'm reading Eliza Starts a Rumor, which um, I you need to read after. I'm only like 10% in, but it's basically this woman and she has two kids and they're in college and she's in this like small town and she's in um, one of those like Facebook groups for like her town and she starts a rumor. And like somebody, like one of the moms thinks it's like about her, but like it's not. And so it's just like really funny. And so like, I mean, it's like really cute so far. I'm only 10%, like I said, but- um, and I also love that it's um, changing perspectives. But the other book I'm in the middle of, in, of it right now, I started last night. I'm only 15% in, but it's kind of similar to this. So it's called Golden Girl by Lynn Hildebrand. Uh, it's her newest book. And it's so interesting. So it's basically, it's literally about her, literally. So it's a, um, it's a mom of three, her, who uh, lives in Nantucket, her, who um, all her books and she's an author and all the books she writes take place in Nantucket her she basically goes out for a run and she's like in a hit and run and like she dies and she goes up into like the beyond and basically she meets this literally her af she meets this woman martha and like she allows her for the next year literally me she allows her until labor day to like watch below but like watch her family and she's allowed well i mean th- this is all on the inside flap so it's not a spoiler but she gets three nudges so she gets like three opportunities to like change what's happening that sounds really interesting wow yeah. that's like sounds very different for her but i so. love i love that in every single one of her books that the one police chief you know him ed kapanesh is in every book and it was so sad he's the one that found her no and he was so upset him. That's so cute. I like, I love the continuity, but that sounds different because I feel like her books are always like a murder mystery or like very like dramatic, like dramatic, like romantic lines. So this sounds interesting. Yeah, I was right. She's dead. Yeah, I was very nervous because I was like, like another, I started another book, but I put it down after like 15 pages. I think I'm going to give it back to the library, but it's called Pack Up the Moon and it, it, it's really good, but it's like, I'm just not in the mood to be sad right now. And like, it's basically, yeah. especially after like the Nightingale, it's like this girl and she's like our age and she gets married and um, she finds out she has a terminal illness. So she dies, but like she leaves her husband all of these letters of what she wants him to like do after she dies and I was like and it's like 450 pages okay why does that sound like p.s I love you though that's what I'm saying so I'm like thank you guys so much for listening to this episode this was really fun I have to go finish the show clickbait that I'm watching Ah. uh our other roommates waiting for me so I have to go but thank you guys so much for listening don't forget to follow us on Instagram and before you go I have to share my pick for October my pick for October is going to be home before dark by Riley Sager and I'm so excited Ah, a good spooky pick. I, I, I heard that it's the perfect like haunted house thriller. And I'm, really hoping, I'm hoping for the best because I gave like Final Girl to four. I gave um Locker Redor a three and I gave uh Survive the Night a five. And so I really love his like spooky writing. And so I, I have high hopes for this. Okay. But yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. You know, if you want to, you can start leaving us book recs because oh, yeah. I think for december we are going to have you guys pick mm-hmm. um so if you want to just slide into the dms and say hey i think y'all bitches should read this book we would love that um or just any suggestions that like hey if you read a good book recently let us know it yeah. might be on the podcast but thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you guys on monday with our regularly scheduled episode love you mean it love you read it <laughs>